0: Hello and welcome on to another episode here of the ISIL Ball Podcast with your host Derek Terrio, your place to learn about the NBA on and off the court. So we are into our first edition here of this week in the NBA, I guess, and we're going to focus on the week of October 27th to November 3rd. Uh, I'm currently recording this on Sunday, November 3rd, uh, around 7pm, so we're going to take a look at a few different things. I'm going to go through my top three games of the week And then we're going to play a little game of real or unsustainable, where we're going to go through some teams and some players and just kind of take a look and see if their current hot starts through about, you know, five or six games or so is real, as in this can continue and they can keep up this pace, or is this maybe a little bit of small sample size theater and is it is unsustainable and we can expect some regression back to the mean. So... Let's let's get it started here. Uh, my games of the week. So num- my number three game of the week was Houston beating Washington, one fifty nine, one fifty eight. That occurred on October thirtieth. That game was an absolute barn burner. Um, as you can as you can tell, one fifty nine to one fifty eight total in regulation is absolutely just ludicrous. I mean, there was very little defense being played in this game. Bradley Beal went for in the high forties. James Harden went for fifty nine. And as you can imagine, it was a very fun game to watch, but again, very little defense being played. And uh, if you're Houston specific, well, if you're you're Washington, first off, I mean, giving up 159 points is not good whatsoever, but nobody expected Washington to be good this year, right? Washington uh, is a team, obviously in the rebuilding stages, you know, Bradley Beal being their best player and really not clear at this point who their second best player is. You know, maybe it's Thomas Bryant, but they... I wouldn't say are expected to give up 158 points, but it's more plausible that they give up 158 points. But if you're Houston, if you have championship aspirations and you go through nights where you're giving up 158 points to Washington, that is a serious, serious problem um, in a number of aspects. And I think right now, Houston is last in defensive rating, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. They're Sorry, they're 29th in defensive rating with 115.9. Now, is that... Mainly due to the 158 uh, game to Washington? Yeah, probably a little bit. But still, Houston has to clean up their defense if they want to uh, go anywhere this season, whether it be regular season or the playoffs. But nonetheless, that was a fun, fun game to watch. I enjoyed that one. Number two, the Grizzlies beating the Nets 134 to 133 in overtime, and that was on October 27th. Uh, this game was fun to watch because it was a little bit of the coming out party for rookie point guard Ja Morant. Uh, ja Morant was playing very well in this game, especially down the stretch, really going shot for shot uh, with Kyrie Irving down the stretch in the fourth quarter, and even played some excellent defense on Kyrie in the game winner uh, to be able to you know block his shot. Uh, and send the game to overtime, and then with about, I think, four seconds left, John Morant makes an excellent play where he basically plays a little two-man game with Jay Crowder in the backcourt, gets a handoff, and then finds Jay Crowder sneaking down uh, the middle of the court and just puts a little bit of a brush screen uh, on Joe Harris, enough to be able uh, to allow Jay Crowder to pull up from three and win the game in overtime. That was quite exciting. I really enjoyed that one. And my number one game of the week was the Lakers beating the Mavs on November 1st. This was a fantastic game, a battle of 17-year vet and 2-year vet, 17-year uh, being LeBron James and 2-year, I say vet loosely, but a 2-year player and Luka Doncic, both finished with triple-doubles, both were just absolutely fantastic for their teams Couple things I noticed in this game. One, I think you, we can put the uh, LeBron is washed uh, stuff to bed. He clearly still has uh, the the juice. He clearly still has the juice to be able to go out and perform in a regular season game. Defensively, he was more engaged than I had ever seen him. Had a, a chase down block, was getting in passing lanes, really just orchestrating himself uh, in the defense and being able to you know put a lot more effort on that end than I've noticed in a long time. And for, for Luka Doncic, I think the one thing that I noticed is when, when Doncic gets in pick and roll, he's very adept at getting the man on his back, kind of what we call putting your man in jail, where basically you you run the pick and roll, and as the guy is coming over top of the screen, you basically just kind of stop and let the guy ride your back a little bit. Chris Paul is very good at this. A couple other point guards are good at this as well. But Luka has become very adept at this, where he puts the guy on his back and then basically just allows the advantage to play out. So if the big is going to choose to su- suck up and just try to you know stop Doncic uh, after he kind of sheds his man with his man on the back, Luka will just throw the lob to you know Dwight Powell, Maxi Kleber. Uh, or Chris for zingas he'll go for the dunk, or he'll shoot this little uh, kind of floater uh, off the glass or high uh, with some nice touch right through the net, and he's gotten very adept at that. So an- another growth in the game from Luka Doncic, you know, not just settling for isolation step-backs, now really being a technician in pick-and-roll, I think, is uh, the next step in his game, and he's really showing that he's getting there uh, at this point in uh, in his career. So really good stuff from, uh, from Doncic and something to watch. Uh, going forward, when you see Luca play, is watch for him putting his man in jail and pick and roll. He's gotten very good at that, and I think he's going to continue to do more of that going forward. Okay, let's play some real or unsustainable, and we'll start with uh, some NBA teams here. So again, we're gonna we're gonna talk about some we're gonna talk about three teams, and we're gonna we're gonna play real unsustainable. Is it real or is it unsustainable? Is it uh, is it real? Can they maintain this pace? Or are we talking about small sample size theater and, you know, maybe this is going to come back down to earth a little bit. The first team I got here is the Phoenix Suns. Now, the Phoenix Suns, as I'm recording this, are 4-2. If the playoffs started today, they would be in the playoffs. And they have just been surprising. I mean, on the first podcast, I mentioned, hey, Phoenix is not going to be the worst team in the league this year. Now it's looking like they could be, you know, a little more than just not the worst team in the league. Like, this team is pretty damn good, in fact. Now, Phoenix right now is 8th in offensive rating and 7th in defensive rating. Offensive rating of 109, defensive rating of 100.5. Good for 7th. 109 is good for 8th. And they've been doing this against, you know, some real teams. Like, they haven't just beaten, like, just nobodies, right? They beat the Clippers. They lost a very close game to the Utah Jazz, and uh, they absolutely demolished the Golden State Warriors. Uh, th- and I think that was, yeah, that was during the game where Steph Curry got hurt, and we'll talk about that in a minute too. But um, they've beaten some quality teams, like they've beaten some like some quality teams, and like again, close game against the Nuggets too. Like this team could easily be the top uh, at the top of the league right now. So. I mean, the Phoenix Suns have, you know, they've been playing really well. Again, uh, ninth in points per game. Uh, they're second in assists a game. Opponents' points per game, they're in ninth. Uh, and again, they're four and two record. Now, real or unsustainable? Do I think that the Phoenix Suns can sustain uh, an, an above 500 record and sneak into the playoffs? Probably not. That's that's what I'm going to say. I'm going to guess no. That it's this is a little bit unsustainable. Uh, and that they're going to start going on a little bit of a stretch here. That's really kind of they're, they're going to get tested. So here are some here here's some some teams they have to play in the near future: the Sixers, the Heat, uh, the Lakers, the Hawks, the Celtics, the Timberwolves, the Nuggets, the Mavericks. Like those those are solid teams. And if they can start beating some of those teams, then we may revisit this. But they also have some. Uh, some games mixed in here against some softies. So they've got the Nets, they've got the Kings, they've got the Pelicans, uh, and they've got the Wizards. Like that's all within this month. So maybe, and they've got the Hornets as well at the beginning of December. So they've got some softies on the schedule and they've got some hard games on the schedule as well. But I got to believe that it's just going to come ba- back down to earth just a little bit. And I don't think they'll make the playoffs. Now, can the Phoenix Suns be last year's version of the Sacramento Kings where they're the, the surprise team that nobody expected to even be remotely close to a playoff berth and they kind of were pushing at the very end to make it in? Sure. I think that's very possible. But do I think the Phoenix Suns are a playoff team? I'm going to go with no at this point. So the Phoenix Suns as a playoff team, let me be clear, as a playoff team, I think is unsustainable. As a team that could be pushing for an eighth seed and just might fall a little bit short, we'll say ninth or tenth, Yeah, I think that's very possible for the Phoenix Suns. Okay, my second team is the Minnesota Timberwolves. The Timberwolves, quite an interesting team. Right now, they're 4-1 as I'm recording this. Fifth in points per game, 14th in rebounds per game, 10th in assists per game, 19th in opponent points per game. Um, As for their advanced statistics, their offensive rating, and I'm just looking it up right now, is 16th, uh, 106.7. And their defensive rating right now is 8th at 101.3. Um, the Timberwolves are interesting. It's it's mainly on the back here of Carl Anthony Towns. Um, Towns has been just absolutely on friggin' fire. Like, this guy is completely unstoppable. He's really taken the next step as a player in terms of really leading this team further uh, than just being an empty stats guy. His stats are clearly uh, contributing to winning. As for the teams, they have beaten, um, so the, the the Wolves, they've they've, ha- they've won some softies, we'll call it like that. So the Brooklyn Nets, who haven't been off to a hot star whatsoever, uh, they beat Brooklyn, they beat the Hornets, uh, they beat the Heat, which is a good win, but they lost to the Sixers and they beat the Washington Wizards. So there's still something to be desired, I think, in terms of Minnesota's ability to win games against, you know, big-time Western Conference competition. Do I think it's sustainable? Do I think that Minnesota can sneak into the playoffs? I do. And I think the reason I do is because I think all the pieces are there when you look at the Minnesota Timberwolves being a playoff team. You've got the star player in Carl Anthony Towns. You got Andrew Wiggins. You got Jeff Teague, who's been playing all right. You've got the wing defender in Robert Covington. You've got uh Jake Lehman, Jordan Bell, Josh Okogi, uh, all of whom are solid defenders. Uh Jake Lehman, maybe we leave out of there, but uh um, Naz Reed is a backup center. You got Travion Graham, who's a solid backup point guard. Uh the same goes with Shabazz Napier. Uh Bates Jop, you got, you got Noah Vonley, uh Tyrone Wallace. Like there's a little bit of depth here um, in terms of Minnesota to the point where they can at least sustain an injury. Oh yeah, and Jared Culver as well, the rookie who hasn't been playing uh, extremely well, but nonetheless he's still there. So they have the ability to sustain uh, an injury, you know, at the thir- at the three four spot. Obviously, nobody can sustain an injury to their star player. I mean, look at Golden State, um, but they have the ability to sustain an injury and still be consistent. And I think a lot of these guys um, have bought in to what uh, Ryan Saunders is preaching over there in terms of culture they seem like they're more bonded they seem like they're more bought in and uh, I would uh, if, if if you're asking me today I would put the Minnesota Timberwolves in the eighth spot I, I think they'll be the eighth seed uh, that that's what I would that that's what I would say today if you're if you're asking me but there's still a lot of basketball left a lot of teams um to see to see how they do. There's a there's a few uh, teams that are going to be vying for that spot. We talked about the Phoenix Suns. Um, we uh, the Dallas Mavericks are another team that could be uh, fighting for that. The Wolves and maybe a couple others that are missing too. So we'll we'll see how it goes. But right now, I think it's sustainable if we're talking about a team again that can make the back end of the playoffs. Now, is this a team that's going to be a three or four seed? No, hell no. That's not sustainable whatsoever. Is this a team that that, that could uh, reach the seven, eight seed? Yeah, that's that's sustainable to me. So, yeah, Minnesota, that's the Minnesota Timberwolves. And the third is, as painful as it is to say, the third is the Golden State Warriors. Now, when I talk about the Golden State Warriors, I'm talking about uh, can can they sustain how bad they've been? Like, that's what I'm talking about with Golden State. Like, can they currently sustain the beatings that they're taking, or are they going to turn it around and, you know, make it into something uh, a little bit better than this? Um, my answer right now is absolutely not. No, they will They will be out of the playoffs today. Uh, D'Angelo Russell has a little ankle sprain. He's going to be out a week or so. Draymond Green had some, like, dislocated fingers or sprained fingers or something. Uh, Steph Curry broke his hand. He's going to be out three months. Like, this team is so not prepared to withstand an injury to just about anybody. Like, they're hard-capped. They can't make any moves in season. Their depth is absolutely atrocious. They have, like, very, very little quality rotation players. Um, Right now, they're last in the league in defensive rating at 117. 117 is last in the league in defensive rating. In offensive rating, they're 18th at 105.8, and you can expect that to drop very quickly. Um, now that Steph Curry is gone, uh, they've won one game against the Pelicans and lost the rest of their five. Um, it's just not been good for the Golden State Warriors, man. It just really hasn't. Um, I don't, uh, I don't know what else more you can say. I mean, that's, uh, they're going to be sustainably bad. They're going to miss the playoffs. Uh, I don't, I don't really have any doubt about that anymore. They're just not enough quality rotation players to make a difference, uh, for this team. And it's, it's it's a crazy fall from grace uh, from what they've been the past few years, but I just don't see it. Uh, 16th in points per game, 21st in rebounds per game. They're 7th in assists per game, uh, but 27th in opponent's points per game. And another big pro- 11, negative uh, 11, which is near the bottom of the league. Uh, in fact, I believe it is at the bottom of the league. Oh, no, the Kings are at negative 13-4. Oh, boy. Um, but the problem here is... is is not only are we compounding the problem with Steph Curry being out, but we're also dealing with a coach in Steve Kerr who's so set in his ball movement system and is so unwilling to just give D'Angelo Russell the ball and say, hey, D'Russ, go run, like, 30, 40 pick and rolls and, you know, get us a good shot, like, every time down the floor. Like uh, Steve Kerr just does not want to do that. He has not shown any propensity to adapt his offense into a pick and roll offense, but the problem with this ball movement motion offenses, look, you don't have shooters to draw gravity, which is a lot of what the Golden State Warriors run off of when they do run pick and roll they have somebody in the center to being able to be a decision maker and when you don't have to worry about corner shooters because they're not as deadly well that decision maker Draymond Green is going to have to become more of a scorer because everyone's just you know going to leave you uh and just stunt and get back and just not be worried about shooters so now Draymond has to have more of a propensity to actually score the basketball which we know he hasn't done in his career, he's very good at making those skip passes, very good at throwing the lob uh to uh the big in the dunker spot or finding the corner shooters. But now like you're gonna throw it to what like Jordan Poole in the corner or like Glenn Robinson the third. Like it's it's just not it's just not gonna work. So the Golden State Warriors uh real or unsustainable yeah unfortunately this bad streak is real and it is very sustainable. And uh, they are going to uh, they're going to miss the playoffs in my opinion. So yeah, Golden State Warriors, uh, crazy fall from grace. If they come back next year though, and they get like a James Wiseman or like a Cole Anthony or uh, or a Nico Mannion or or some other one of these crazy prospects, we could just be looking at a one year blip here, where in 2020 uh, or 2020 2021 season, the Warriors will be back with Steph Curry. Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, uh, D'Angelo Russell, and not hard capped, and a top draft pick to develop, like, and just be right back to where they were. So this could very well just be a quick one year blip for the Golden State Warriors, and they very well could be back, uh, back and on the rise uh, sometime soon. So I am not ruling out uh, the Warriors as a dynasty yet. I think they still have a chance. Uh, to be able to come back and be very effective a year from now. But this year, I think we're ruling them out as anything more than just a team that's going to miss the playoffs and be uh, near the bottom of the league uh, in terms of uh, win losses. So yeah. Okay, now let's get into some players. Let's let's go a l- we're not gonna go like crazy rapid fire, but we're just gonna go a little bit rapid fire here with some of these uh, players in terms of real, or unsustainable so let's go the first player we got here is one trey young now trey young has been ridiculous to say the least now he has he's has had an ankle injury that's keeping him out for the first uh for for the first couple of games here but through four games these are trey young's numbers so he's averaging 26.8 points per game in just under 30 minutes uh, he's taking 17 shots a game, uh, making 50% from the field. Um, seven three pointers per game, hitting those at a 50% clip. He's getting to the line six and a half times a game. Very good to see for Trey Young making those at an 80% clip. Uh, seven point three assists per game. Here's the problem though: five turnovers. Seven seven point three assists to five turnovers. Uh, per game for Trey Young is a bit is a bit of a problem. We're not going to lie here. Uh, but the 65% true shooting on 37% usage is just fantastic stuff. Just fantastic stuff. You just wish you could take care of the ball a little bit more. Uh, but, I mean, 30 37% usage is up in the hardened range uh, at this point. So, I mean, to be able to use uh, possessions at a, a 65% true shooting is just fantastic. Um, and it shows with the Hawks, you know, uh, uh, being what they are at this point, which is a very solid team with Trey Young on the floor, and I, th- I think that's great for the Hawks. Like I think the the Hawks need everything they can get from Trey Young because as soon as he exits the floor, uh, there's there's going to be some se- there's going to be some serious problems as it pertains uh, to the Hawks because their backup point guard situation is just at this point is just not good. Um, they're having Evan Turner. I've seen them play you know DeAndre Bembry at times. They've even had uh, uh rookie Cam Reddish handle the ball a little bit, um, so it's like it's 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 real tough uh, when Trey Young gets off the floor. But as it pertains to him staying on the floor, he's just been absolutely fantastic. Is this real or sustainable? I think this is absolutely real. I mean, no one's really taking. Uh, minutes from Trey Young, there's no reason why it wouldn't be the smartest thing to do to put the ball in his hands and let him create possession after possession. It's only his second year in the league, you want him to develop, you want him to be your league guard of the future, so why not let him uh, continue to make mistakes with a Hawks group that's still growing, uh, that you know wants to make the playoffs but isn't at the end of the world if they don't sort of thing. So absolutely, I think this is real for Trey Young, and uh, I think he's going to be an All Star this year. I mean, I don't see, uh, I don't see why not. So uh, good for Trey Young, and I, uh, and I'm, and I'm a believer that this is sustainable and real. Okay, the second player we got here is Kendrick Nunn. Kendrick Nunn, rookie point guard here for the Miami Heat, um, was a part of the Warriors G League affiliates uh, last year. Didn't play a single game uh, for the Warriors, but Miami scooped him up and signed him to, I believe it was a two-year deal. And for Kendrick Nunn through five games, he's averaging 31 minutes a game, uh, 22 points per game on 17 shots uh, per game, 51.8% from the field. Uh, He's hitting 48% from three at uh, six uh, attempts per game. He's actually made 100% of his free throws as I watch this. Now, 1.8 attempts per game is not a lot whatsoever. Um, we get that. The volume is not there as it pertains to that. Um, two About 2.5 rebounds a game, 2.6 uh, assists per game, and 2 turnovers a game. So about a 1-to-1 assist-to-turnover ratio. Clearly playmaking not his strength at this point. But again, 26% usage, uh, 63% true shooting, um, using possessions very efficiently, and... He's been been—he's been a revelation. He's been a surprise here for the Miami Heat to just come out and be able to do this. Um, I, I i wish him the best. I think this is absolutely excellent now. So he's 24 years old. He went undrafted, uh, played at, at Oakland University. Do I think this is sustainable for Kendrick Nunn? Unfortunately, I'm going to go with no, and there's a couple of reasons why. Um, the main reason is that Jimmy Butler missed the first couple games uh, with... Um, I believe it was the birth of his son and he was away from the team so far. So you have to believe the ball is going to come out of his hands just a little bit. And Justice Winslow is also on this team, as well as Goran Dragic. So he's got some real competition that he needs to play his way through to be effective. And I think the minute he goes on a little bit of a slump, and I I think there's going to be at least a little bit of regression coming here, I mean... If he can keep up 52% from the field and 48% from three, then, I mean, I'll, you can you can correct me all day, but I just don't think those numbers are personally sustainable, especially with those guys coming back. And I think the thing here for Kendrick Nunn is how can he perform in a role where he doesn't have the ball in his hands consistently? Can he be that off-ball catch-and-shoot guy that runs the occasional pick-and-roll and is still effective without high volume? Uh, I think that's going to be the question For Kendrick Nunn, but I think this is a little bit unsustainable. That being said, I still think he's a fantastic player, Uh, very awesome when these uh, when these stories break out, and I do expect him to be a very effective player going forward here for the Miami Heat. But I just don't expect um, the sixty (laughs) three percent sixty three percent true shooting on twenty six usage to continue uh, at a twenty two point per game clip. Uh, at 48% from 352 from the field. I just think those numbers are going to come down a little bit for Kendrick Nunn. but still an effective player and I still uh, I still like his game and I still uh, I still believe that he can be very effective for the Miami Heat. All right, next player we got here is Derrick Rose. Uh, Derrick Rose off to a surprising start here for the the Detroit Pistons, clearly outplaying Reggie Jackson. There's been a lot of clamoring for Derrick Rose to start, and he's actually going to get that opportunity now that it seems Reggie Jackson has a stress fracture in his lower back and is going to be out, I think, about a month. Um, Through six games here for Derrick Rose, uh, 25 minutes a game. He's averaging you know 21 a game off the bench, only taking 15 shots a game. 56% Fifty-six percent from the field. Uh, now he's only shooting twenty-five percent from three on 0.7 attempts per game. So clearly, he's still not the three—not the three-point shooter um, that we would like him to be. But that's okay. Uh, he still has a very effective game. Eighty-nine uh, percent from the line. Getting to the line four point five uh, times a game. He's got six point three assists, three point eight turnovers uh, per game. He's averaging a steal a game in there as well. Uh, Through the advanced stats, we got 62 true shooting on 34 usage. So, I mean, is this sustainable? I mean, why not? Why isn't this sustainable? There's nothing here that jumps out at me that is like, oh my goodness, there's no way he can keep up that number. Now, maybe the 56% from the field... Might come down just a little bit, but even if Derrick Rose shoots like forty-eight to fifty percent, or even like forty-seven to fifty percent, like that's still like very good, like uh, especially for a guy that doesn't you know shoot any three-pointers. He's he's not jacking up a bunch of you know threes that he know he that he knows he can't make. He's still getting to the line almost like five times a game in twenty-five minutes, uh, and obviously making those at a good clip. So once he gets the this next month to actually start some uh, some real games here. He's going to, I think, really show that Derrick Rose is still an effective player. Uh, his comeback story has been fantastic, and I think the, I, I think Detroit is just going to put the ball in his hands even more and say, "Hey, go create, go run some pick and roll with, with Andre Drummond. Go, uh, go do your thing. Get into the lane, shoot those mid range, shoot those mid ranges when you have a, a, a good shot there, and uh, get into the, the, the paint, uh, finish at the rim in transition, hit some floaters, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. So. Uh, we'll see, but I think this is sustainable for Derrick Rose. I, I don't see why not. So Derrick Rose, I think currently his numbers are sustainable personally, and right now is in the running for sixth man of the year, uh, if we're if we're being honest. Now, if he play if he starts uh, a certain amount of games, he might you know bring himself out of that. But right now, uh, sixth man of the year candidate Derrick Rose. All right, next player Carl Anthony Towns. Carl Anthony Towns like is playing at an MVP level right now. Uh, through four games when I'm recording this, thirty-one just thirty-one minutes a game. Again, he's not. This these numbers aren't coming with thirty-seven minutes a game. Okay, so check this out: twenty-seven points a game on seventeen shots, fifty-four percent from the field. He's taking eight three-point attempts per game and shooting them at a fifty-three percent clip. Again, this is Carl Anthony Towns taking. Eight and a half attempts a game in 31 minutes and shooting them at a 53% clip. That is just ridiculous. And despite that, he's getting to the line almost seven times a game and shooting his free throws at 63%. Like, holy crap. Like, <laughs> talk about a disparity. Uh, 11 and a half rebounds a game, four assists a game, which is awesome for town. Showing a little playmaking there. Uh, two and a half turnovers a game, but two and a half steals a game, 1.8 blocks. Like, Oh, my goodness. Like, even I'm surprised looking at these numbers. 68% true shooting on 27% usa- 28% usage. This is just some fantastic stuff from Carl Anthony Towns. And, I mean, he's he's really taking the next step here, which is just really, really good to see. Now, do I think these numbers are sustainable? I'll tell you right now. I don't think he's going to shoot 53% from three on eight attempts for the whole year. So, in that sense, yeah, that's probably coming down a little bit. But, do I think this overall like MVP case of, you know, 27-11 and 4 is, you know, out of the realm of keeping it up? No, absolutely not. I think he can do that. I just don't think the three points, the three point percentage and the three point mix are sustainable, especially given some of the the types of attempts that he's taking. He's taking like attempts like off the dribble like he had a friggin' fantastic move where he took a jab step back right or a jab right and then a dribbled left and took a step back behind the three point line and, and made the shot i was i was i was like what that was like this is carl anthony town's playing like a guard it's it's just unbelievable so i think overall the numbers are sustainable i don't think the three point uh percentage uh is sustainable now the attempts might be but i don't think he's going to shoot 53% for, uh, for the year. I think that's pretty unsustainable. But the rest of the stuff, I don't see why not. Uh, especially just looking at how the Wolves are playing. Uh, we talked about that earlier in this pod. I I think that's more than sustainable uh, for Carl Anthony Towns. The only thing I think is unsustainable is the three-point shooting. Alright. we Next guy we got here. We got two more guys left. The first one, Malcolm Brogdon. Now, Malcolm Brogdon playing this year for... The Indiana Pacers, he's been the lead guard for them. And truth be told, I haven't gotten around to watching a lot of Pacers games. I should watch a little bit more of them. It's just something I haven't got around to doing. But the number, like, his numbers are, you know, really standing out to me, and I'm, I am I need to go do a deeper dive into what, you know, Brogdon is doing to get to this point. Um, but through five games uh, at 34 minutes a game, he's averaging 22 points per game on 16 shots, 44% from the field, five three-point attempts per game. He's hitting those at a 36% clip. Uh, 6.2 free throw attempts per game. He's hitting those at a 96% clip. Real good free throw shooter is Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, 5.8 rebounds. 10.2 assists to 2.4 turnovers. That's the thing that really jumped out at me is Malcolm Brogdon as the lead guard is really racking up the assists for his team here and also keeping the turnovers very, very low. That is some really good stuff to see. 58% true shooting on 26% usage, using uh, possessions uh, fairly efficiently, above average efficiency there. Um, Do I think this is sustainable for Malcolm Brogdon? I, again, don't see why not. Like, there's nothing that jumps out to me here that says, oh, there's no way he's going to keep that X number up. Okay, maybe not 96% from the free throw line, but that hardly is going to, uh, you know, take a – or put a dent in his numbers, I should say – the 10 assists is really what jumps out at me. I'm really going to have to take a deeper dive into how he's getting those assists. But with 10 assists and uh, two turnovers a game, I 1.4 steals again to add into that as well. I don't think that it's personally is unsustainable uh, for Malcolm Brogdon. So again, we'll, I'm going to have to take a look and see. Maybe I'll revisit that and tell you that, oh, uh, guys are making a ridiculous amount of shots uh, on his passes and stuff like that. But uh, just to, just basing off um, of re- reading a, a book by its cover here, I don't think anything any of these numbers stand out as unsustainable to me. And I think the only thing that might bring them down is when Oladipo gets back and he's got to do um, a little bit more ball handling. Does uh, Oladipo's going to have the ball in his hands just a little bit more. And I think that might put a little bit of dent in his usage and his ability to um, uh, keep these numbers up. But uh, as it pertains uh, for right now, uh, until January or whatever Oladipo gets back, I think these numbers are very sustainable uh, for Malcolm Brogdon. And uh, and good for him, uh, if I might add, too. That was, a, that was a player I thought might have gotten a little bit overpaid in the offseason, but he's uh, he's proving me wrong. If he's going to average 22-10, uh, then 22-10-5, or sorry, 22-10-6, I should say, then uh, I, will, uh, I will gladly eat my words on that one. So good for Malcolm Brogdon. All right, the last player we got here is Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Uh, Shea is really, you know, proving himself to be a scorer, not just, uh, you know, a, a traditional point guard like we saw him last year with the Clippers. So here with the Thunder, playing uh, played in six games so far, uh, 35 minutes a game. He's averaging 21.8 points per game on 17 shots per game, making those at a 46% clip from the field. Uh, 4.8 attempts uh, from three per game, and he's making those at a 38% clip. Good number there. 6.2 free throw attempts per game, hitting those at a 70% clip. Uh, he's got 7.2 rebounds a game, 3.3 assists, 1.8 turnovers, and uh, throwing in a block a game for you there as well. Uh, and on the advanced statistics, uh, 55% true shooting on 26% usage. So just about average uh, true shooting um Right there, uh, but 26% usage is uh, fairly high, especially for a second-year player. Um, so I like what I've seen some from Shea. Uh, I do, he's really gotten uh, away from kind of being a true, uh, you know, I don't think he was a. I wouldn't say he was a pass-first point guard in uh, in uh, Los Angeles, but he definitely did uh, do quite a bit of passing. Uh, he was passive, I think, is the best way to put it. But now he's taking uh, quite a bit uh, more shots. Uh, 8.7 last year uh, with the Clippers now taking 17 shots. So clearly being thrusted into a bigger role. And the thing that I like the most is the 4.8 three-point attempts per game. Almost five three-point attempts per game at 38 per, uh, 38% clip is really, really good stuff. That's good to see that he's taking more of those. And I think that uh, is the swing skill for a guy like Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Being able to shoot that three off the dribble and off the catch-and-shoot, I think, is going to be real big for him. So, do I think these numbers are sustainable? Yeah, I think these numbers are sustainable. I don't. I don't see anything that jumps out to me that's uh, that says, "Oh, he's." Uh, there's no way he can keep X up. I think he's been. I think he's been very good driving to the rim. Uh, he's uh, shown the propensity to shoot the three with no hesitation. Uh, clearly, playing with Chris Paul has helped him. Uh, Chris Paul has taken really a backseat to to Shea being the the go-to scorer on this team. Him and Gallo. Uh, but I think that this is a great step forward for Shay, and I have uh, no—I have no gripes about what he's doing. I really don't I don't see anything uh, regressing majorly here. Um, I think uh, everything he's doing is sustainable. So good for Shay, Gilgis Alexander, as well. All right, that wraps it up for the real or unsustainable section. And okay, so what I learned this week—I mentioned we were going to do this one thing per week uh, on the last podcast. The one thing that I kind of knew already, but I learned more about is like the mid-range debate. And now the mid-range debate is an interesting one because everyone, everyone seems to like think they know like where mid-range, where the mid-range game fits in today's game, but yet no one seems to agree on it, which is kind of interesting, right? Like, uh, uh, some people think oh you should just take uh, all threes and go to the layup or go to the rim like the rockets like look at them their offensive rating is absolutely unbelievable and that's all they do. Um me personally I really think that there's more to it than that. I think that there is a place for the mid-range game but only for certain players and for certain um for certain players and certain situations. And let me let me explain what I what I mean by that. The best way I can explain it is through this tweet uh, by Seth Partnow. He had the best way to explain this. So this guy tweets, the three is so crucial, but in last year's playoffs, Kawhi showed how important the mid-range game was when the pace slowed down. He says, now I don't agree with Levine, but he makes an interesting case. And now now we're talking about, you know, uh, Zach Levine, uh, there was a debate in the preseason where uh, Rachel Nichols had a clip where it's like, oh, two, uh, yeah, three is better than two, but two is better than zero sort of thing. And that kind of sparked the debate uh, with her comments on the jump. And Seth Partnow had the best response to this, and this is the best way I can describe it. Here, Here's the tweet that uh, Seth said. Both things can be true, that it's helpful to have an elite player who can make tough, low-efficiency shots better than most and those are the shots you should be looking to minimize. You want the best safety features on your car too, but you don't crash into things to show them off. That is the best way I can describe the mid-range shot to you, is that, you? yes, you want it in your bag. You want to be able to shoot the mid-range, as like specifically for high-usage star players. You want the mid-range in your bag. When it comes to the playoffs and you know you're going to go to the rim and you're not going to get that foul call because it's, Trench warfare, rim warfare at the rim. And you're getting, you know, stuck by the best defensive player and you don't want to shoot that, you know, step back three, a uh, bad three-point shot. It's good to be able to create separation in the mid-range and, and knock that shot down. And Kawhi definitely showed that uh, in last year's playoffs, that the mid-range is definitely not dead. But what you don't want is to just be have a steady diet of those shots. You don't want that to be your just ridiculous... Uh, go-to shot every single time down the floor, unless you're Kawhi Leonard or Kevin Durant or a guy that is just so good in the mid-range, you know, like a DeMar DeRozan, a CJ McCollum, a Chris Paul, these guys who are just ridiculously good mid-range shooters, those guys can just take those shots whenever they want them. Because they're just that good at them, like those those guys, and there's a couple others too that fall into this category. But you know, between KD, Kawhi, uh, CJ McCollum, DeRozan, and Chris Paul, those are just some of the examples. But there's a couple others that that could uh, that could fall into that category too. So if you're not one of those guys or a couple of the others that I've been missing then you don't want a steady diet of those shots you want to be able to stretch it out to 3 you'd rather shoot that 24 footer than that 20 footer like the the math just says so and you know Kirk Goldsberry has done you know number of good things on that as well so when it comes to the mid-range debate yes you want that shot in your bag you want to be able to shoot that shot but it's also it's also important to not have a steady diet it but like like Seth said both can be true that It's important to have that in your bag, but also important to not use it every time down the floor. So is the mid-range dead? No, the the mid-range shot is not dead, but we've come to realize that it's not the most efficient shot and should be used um, in emergency situations. Uh, If you shoot a mid-range, if you shoot a mid, settle for a mid-range shot. Is it is it bad? Well, it depends on the situation. Is it a pick and pop mid-range shot where you're shooting it from you know 15 to uh, you know 19 feet and you're wide open? No, it's probably not a bad shot depending on the context if nobody's contesting it. Uh, But if are you taking a you know jab step 20 footer with a guy contesting in your face? Yeah, no, that's not a good shot. That's just not a good shot. So it's contextual depending on the player depending on the situation. Uh, and I mean situation as who's guarding you? Uh, what What's the nature of the attempt? Is it uh, off a catch and shoot? Is it just a, uh, a triple threat pull up? What is the nature of the shot? And obviously the context of the game. Have, has that shot been going down for you all game? Are you confident in that shot? Or have you not made a single one uh, all game and you have no confidence in it? Like all of these things play into whether a mid-range shot is a good shot. And there's no one right answer to this question. But is the mid-range shot dead? The answer is no. But it's contextual. That's the that's the best way I, I guess I can put it. So thanks uh, everybody for listening in uh, to my first this week in basketball, uh, I think it went fairly well. Obviously, I'm open to opinions on you know other segments, things you want me to talk about, this, that, and the other. Uh, obviously, open to all of that sort of stuff. Uh, you can find us on, or find me, I should say, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Uh, I radio, uh, player FM, pretty much Google podcasts, basically everywhere you find your podcasts, you can, uh, uh, you can find me now, which is great. Um, and yeah, if you can rate it five stars uh, on iTunes or wherever podcast player of your choosing, that's very helpful. I obviously would like to uh, grow the audience of this as much as I can. Uh, and you can find me on all my social media channels, uh, ISO Ball Pod or ISO Ball Podcast, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where I post content as well. So find me there, and uh, and yeah, we'll be back uh, next Sunday with another this week in basketball, unless something crazy happens and we have to do an emergency pod, which could be the case. But uh, pending that, uh, thanks for listening, and we'll be back uh, with you next Sunday. Thanks again.